0: Welcome
1: to the future of gaming. GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You are listening to our weekly podcast. Today it is Phil and I, and we have a special guest, Philip La. Philip is a prolific person in the Web3 gaming space. He has spent time before Web3 at Pokemon Go and Facebook, then joined Axie Infinity, and is currently the director of products at Roboto Games. Um, the reason we're speaking with Phil is because um, yeah, he's generally a um, very well-informed and well-opinionated person about the intersection of blockchain and games, so it's always a pleasure to talk to him. But he recently brought out a piece where he went, he thought himself to be um, a school teacher and is like, <laughs> I'm going to grade web3 and what it brings to games um and so he wrote a piece where you looked at all of the different things that web3 does for gaming and you essentially gave the grade from a to f which as an european i find really annoying just do like <laughs> one to ten man it's it's really not that hard anyway um one more thing about this podcast is going to be confusing because we have two phillips here and i'll i'll we'll figure it out like i'll i'll yeah i'll, I'll try and, and make sure that you know, you guys know who I'm addressing. So we don't have these awkward moments where it's like did he ask that to me. Anyway, Philip La, sir, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Um, I would say, yeah, Thanks feel free to me. tell us a bit more about why you decided to write this piece, a bit about your methodology and then uh, we can dig in.
0: Yeah. So, you know, after the, the crazy year and a half at, at Sky Mavis, uh, learned a lot. It was really fun experience, challenging as well. And, Uh, Yeah, I just had all these learnings and thoughts around Web three and gaming, and areas where I saw it was very valuable, and areas where I felt it was overstated. Uh, And I had a little bit of a break between the two companies, and I wanted to share it. I was like, I think uh, there's some things that could be helpful to other other developers, other um, people making Web three games. And so, uh, yeah, decided to share it. And uh, this is, you know, a lot of it is based on the current state of Web3 and where it is now. And, you know, it's hard to predict the future. So I'm sure there'll be different challenges and, you know, different things that get a lot better too over time. But this is just looking at some of the current state of it and, and where it's really advantageous and where it falls short. Um, and so my my whole grading system is very much uh, based on the incremental value that I see Web3 bringing to games. And that incorporates a couple components, which are uh not just the for for each of these topics that I go over not just the incremental value that web3 provides this topic but also you know how how important is this topic you know things like you know provable scarcity sure you know web3 makes it so you can really prove if something is scarce and how scarce it is but do people really care about that um so that's a big component of kind of how I uh, I graded things as well um and yeah so my my north american bias definitely uh pushed me to to do the A to F and uh, (laughs) yeah, I think we'll, we'll work with that.
1: Good. Yeah. I think it makes sense. A is good. F is really bad, right? Yep. Should we, should we go maybe, um, bottom to top? Like I have general thoughts about the approach that I'd love to discuss, but maybe Mm. let's just go through. So, you know, listeners can also that haven't read the piece, which by the way, obviously will be linked down below. Um, so let's go through the, maybe we don't need to go through all of them because there's quite a few, uh, but let's talk yeah. about maybe the the ones that where you don't see Web3 adding any value at all. <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, I don't think there's any of them where I don't see Web3 adding any value at all. I think there's ones that I think are much, much less. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of it, comes down to it depends. I think there's some of them where I have a low grade that I think could be extremely valuable to a particular product or company. Um, but in the aggregate, I'm seeing it as you know less impactful. Um, so you mentioned you want to start from the bottom. So that's what user acquisition and community building. Yeah. All right. Uh, so with that one. Um...
1: Oh, sorry, Phil. No, no. What I meant was the bottom as in the the least impact or the least beneficial Oh, uh, least that's impact. what i meant so uh, imagine we have a class yeah. with with very smart students like philip yeah. collins here and and <laughs> and well. and then you have the 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 d tier that's that's me you know sitting yeah. in the back of the class asking super questions not understanding what's going on okay so yeah. let's let's start, start with uh,
0: the bad students yeah Cool. Uh, yeah. So, you know, one of the first ones was marketplaces and trading uh, right Right near the top of the post. I think this one's very overstated. A lot of, uh, you know, Web3, I think, enthusiasts and, um, you know, people supporting the, the ecosystem say, you know, Web3 unlocks marketplaces and trading. And now you can trade all your assets and uh, do all these, you know crazy DeFi things or, or whatnot with them um, as well. So that, there's actually two things there. So that I've, I've split into one to real money gameplay and one to marketplaces and trading. And so when I talk about marketplaces and trading, I'm specifically talking about just exchange of in-game assets. And to me, that's that's been done in, in Web2. Um, it's been done in many different ways in Web2 as well. Uh, you know, from people having to barter goods in World of Warcraft to having having full auction houses um, in games like Albion Online and, and many others. Uh, and they were, you know, people are able to exchange goods. And uh, I don't see, you know, that much value in, you know, having all of that activity in Web3. And, and actually, there's disadvantages because a lot of times in Web3, you have to go the full basically auction house, uh, you know, exchange system. You can't have these more interesting gameplay systems where people actually have to find each other and socialize and, you know, have interesting interactions to trade. Um, and so we actually saw that in one of the X Infinity games with Homeland. So we wanted to implement this trading feature in X Infinity Homeland that actually matters uh, where your land is placed. Um, and if we just made the trading all on chain then people would just go on exchange and trade things. But because we put trading of these particular items um, in a way where, you know, if you trade with your neighbor, it's super fast. If you trade with someone super far away, it's slow. Um, and you can't do those types of things if everything's on chain. So that's why I think, you know, from a pure trading perspective, uh, yeah, Web3 is, you know, relatively low and weak.
1: I think that's fair. Um, I'm going to, in in doing this, try and be the advocate of the devil sometimes and, and try to steal, man. You know, the yeah. case of Web3, but to me, the way I'm thinking about this, and again, it's important to to mention that your whole premise was that you're looking at how the, how the technology works today and not necessarily mm-hmm. like how it could become in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but even keeping that in mind, I think one of the benefits here, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that, is essentially um, trading is like one financial primitive that is – that it has been built on top of the blockchain and it is the ability to exchange from one person to the next. But another example of a financial primitive would be lending. Another financial primitive would be fractionalization. And so to me, um, as the advocate of the devil here, there <laughs> are, as a developer, if like I'm a game developer, um, you have, if you, once you use the blockchain, you, you, in, like in the box, it, it's all in there, right? And all of the tooling that exists surrounds the um, the financialization of assets is there. And it, it might make a lot of things easier that you don't have to build it in, in-house yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think the kind of existing systems uh, argument makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think there's a reason why Theoretically, you can have these tools all built in Web2 as as tools that developers can use to, you know, Unity can build out a trading system and lending and all of this for for gamers to use, uh, game developers to use. And there's a reason why it just hasn't been built out It's because people haven't particularly felt it was valuable to their game mechanics and their particular game to have these or else, you know, all of those things, assuming it's not involving real money, uh, can be built you know, through web two and and through platforms that provide engines and services. Uh, So I do see that, you know, right now, a lot of those exist more so in web three than, you know, in web two tools, but I don't know if that's a matter of, you know, the actual usefulness and, and necessity of them.
2: Yeah, and I think that's an important point because especially with the the current state of Web3, the, the hurdle for adoption is, does this give me something net new? And mm-hmm. I feel like that's where your grades, which are kind of listed as Web3 value grading, uh, marketplaces and trading would fall lower on my list as well because we've seen examples where – different variations of this can be done. And I do think there are certain advantages when done right to the player for having this more free and open market with multiple different channels for buying and selling goods. But, um, to your point, there are historical precedents for similar functionality and just with the temperature of this space, how much incremental value does it actually unlock or how many new features and capabilities does it unlock? I think this is where web three is a little bit more of a, a minor leap, um, for both developers and players, even if there there is value, which is I think why it's not an F here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's lower compared to other features that that we can talk about.
1: Awesome, good. Um, let's let's go to the next one. And, and Philip, I'll leave it to you to perhaps skip ones that you think are slightly less
0: interesting, or or skip towards ones that you think or that you really want to talk about. Cool. Um, yeah. So let's. Yeah, I guess we're we're still working through the lower ones and then we'll go from, you know, pessimistic to to more optimistic cuz, you know, a lot, a lot of things I still obviously really believe in and and love about the the web3 gaming side. Um yeah, we can talk about uh a very uh so there's interoperability and user acquisition. I think both those are super interesting. Let's start with uh, user acquisition. Um, and community building. Uh, so I was just thinking a lot about okay, how, how much value does Web3 bring, but also detract from UA right now? Um, and I think initially we were seeing, you know, during the uh, the upswing uh, of, of Web3 in the market uh, that there was just a huge appetite. Uh, you know, you put out a token, you put out you're a Web3 game and people flock into your Discord um, and you get a bunch of initial players, which is really hard, especially for an indie game, especially for people who don't have a big brand, people who haven't made games before. Uh, so that was a big advantage, which has you know obviously tapered off a bit now. Um, but there's also a lot of the disadvantages uh, with obviously not having distribution platforms uh, easily accessible like Steam, like Apple, like Google um, on, on mobile. Uh, so... That's kind of the high level of, of the UI. I think there is still uh, appetite and, and value for these types of mints and airdrops. And we've still seen some of these free mints, you know, go pretty viral and, and pick up some steam. Uh, but that's also, you know, for a particular audience, right, which is for the existing web three It's not necessarily pulling new people into the space. Uh, so that's why I have it as a lower grading. I think it's C, uh, C was my grading and I gave it a plus because I think having that ability to bring in an initial audience still is still very valuable because having that, you know, just a bunch of people in your Discord uh, makes it much easier to bring someone in, and there's people who will explain the game to them, who will talk about it, who will evangelize it. Uh, So I think there still is value there. But uh, in terms of the larger distribution, getting it to, you know, millions and millions of players, um, it's uh, not adding as much right now, um, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and I think there's a there's a maturity aspect of that because mm-hmm. the, the key word that I think of when it comes to Web3, UA, is really on the targeting front. And outside of Web3 games, we've seen how difficult targeting new players has become, right? UA and marketing and advertising is, is kind of a mess right now. And Web3 does give you the transparency you need to find players and use actual, actual data and proven demonstrations of interest to find the right people. Uh, I think to your point today, one of the problems is... A relatively small number and a relatively small but growing number of game developers are targeting a a very small number of players and so there's all this there's all this overlap where you know even if you know the right type of player it's hard to actually get their attention and so if web three adoption on the consumer side reaches critical mass and you have you know tens of millions of players or hundreds of millions of players to reach um, I think that 's where this uh, this targeting becomes extremely effective but this is almost um this is almost contingent on that user adopt on that user adoption of web3 uh which is kind of solved by by other factors
0: yeah and I, and mm-hmm. i think you know the the part that i also missed was just that uh there is some uh some power in being able to drop these assets with real money value to people to, to try out your game, right? Because, like, oh, all right, I get, you know, 10 bucks, 50 bucks, hundreds of dollars of, you know, this NFT, and someone just gave it to me. Yeah, sure, I'll play the game and I'll start advocating for it. But, you know, that that has a lot of strings attached with, you know, how people view the game, how they look at it as more of an investment or how they see it, uh, and, you know, look for ROI and things like that. So that has a larger effect on the culture. So something to be just super careful about.
1: So if I was asked to give a grading on this part, is like I would even give it a lower grading, probably a D, or maybe Got even it. a D minus. I don't know if, do you work with minuses? Do I see a minus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, have, we have so minuses. minus. <laughs> we we can do minuses. All right, to to just make it a bit more complex. Thank you. Yeah. Um Anyway, <laughs> what I, uh, as if you listen to this, you know that I'm very cynical, and that's probably because I hang out in the wrong Twitter areas or whatever. <laughs> but to me, it seems like Ninety plus percent of the people that are into web three games are, are just here to speculate, and so on like on a purely community basis, choosing to go web three today essentially, as you said right, it gives you a maybe like a, a five hundred to one thousand easy users um, but it limits your growth significantly because there's a lot of platforms that you can 't use to start targeting users, and you know you can 't be on the app stores or if, if you do, you have to go through like a ton of hoops and so um, for that reason, I think that's, you know, I, I would say for, for, for the community and, and the user acquisition building, like Web3 is probably the worst thing you can do today. Um, and so that's, that's, and, and the, the community that you then build if, if you decide to do it, I think is not like, I see them as having a negative LTV, which is something that's I feel like we should probably have a discussion about someday because it's probably the first time I've expressed that opinion. But for me, they're like net extracting or extractors of value of the game. And, you know, in the end, every game is a business and to you need value created. Then you need some, you know, money to flow into the game at some point. And so you want, you need positive LTV players. And to me, the, the golden or the first cohorts of the Web3 users um, won't
2: be that. And it's kind of problematic today, too, where... The the user acquisition cycle in the Web3 space over the last two years feels like it started so much earlier in the process of actually launching and, and building out a game where you're now trying to to basically turn a lot of these players into quote-unquote owners, whether through tokens or NFTs and airdrops, where you want them to come to your game 6, 12, 18 months before the game is out. And so the UA cycle has been kind of illogical up to this point. And so you end up with those financially motivated hopefully eventually players but at the end of the day it's not traditional UA where a game launches and the game is out and you can come play it and determine if it's a good product you're you're getting acquired when you have no idea what you're getting acquired into
0: yeah i think there was basically this hypothesis uh where game developers felt that they can bring in these players you know, with these kind of monetary incentives, basically, and then cross their fingers and hope, you know, they're going to convert to just love the game and spend for fun and all those things. And it's really hard to, and uh, you know, to really bridge that, um, to get people to switch that mindset of like, you know, I came here for, you know, financialization. And now like the game is so good, I just want to play and spend money and put all my money into it mm-hmm. without any, you know, expectations of ROI and things like that yeah
2: it's like there's there's a sunk cost element it's like oh, I've already put so much money into this I've already bought these assets, so I might as well try to force myself to enjoy the game um, yeah. you're getting, <laughs> getting buy you're getting you're getting buy-in in a in a way that is counter to to most games um where you know maybe a pre-order is the equivalent in traditional gaming, but that feels very different from from the cycles and approaches we've we've seen in web3 yeah
0: mm-hmm.
2: Does this tie in with one of the
1: other the other points, Phil, uh, around perhaps crowdfunding? So, w- one thing that I think um, What3 does pretty well, or, or like What3 does pretty well. That sounds weird. Is just giving your players a, <laughs> a, a an asset or a part of the game that has real world value. It, mm. it becomes interesting that they do have skin in the game, and they're more likely than players that don't have skin in the game to share things to create things to try to convince your friends to play um etc um uh which one of the points um is is, or or, uh, do you talk about there
0: yeah yeah crowdfunding is is definitely related uh i think it's it's all framing right so you know you have platforms like kickstarter and indiegogo that already exist and people crowdfund tons of games on those platforms and when people put you know, money into it, it's not with the expectation that they're getting money out, they, they want to, they want this game to exist, right? They want, you know, some perks, some benefits, maybe some in-game bonuses, things like that. Uh, and so, you know, getting a, a asset, you know, before you get the game, I think is, is net positive for, you know, crowdfunding campaigns that are, that are, uh, you know, have this type of expectation and have this type of narrative. Uh, So now I, you know, want this game to exist. So I put money into it. But I also get this digital asset that I get to own until it comes out. Uh, But as long as it's maintained that this is, you know, not something that you're just getting so you can sell or you can flip and you can make money off of because for the most part, you're not going to. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and I think that's the main thing is that it's fine for all these things to have real money value. You know, I have, tons of collectibles and, and things that have that, but, you know, that's not the primary driver within the market and within that ecosystem for, for those assets. So, um, yeah, I think crowdfunding can can really benefit from it if as long as it's continued to be positioned in the right way. Agreed.
1: Bold prediction here or spicy take here for me, mm-hmm. I think that's, Web three enabled gaming assets will go down. Specifically, NFTs will go down in history as probably one of the worst asset classes to you know that people have ever like truly invested in and believed in. Probably like
2: close to tulips in the Netherlands in like the 17th century. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. Tulips are, are the comp here.
0: Yeah. Good. Yeah, I think it's going to be few and far between you know, most, most assets are going to go to zero, uh, and yeah, there's going to be some that take off and that, you know, for those people, maybe they'll say, you know, here's, here's the proof, but yeah, no one should expect that. And, um, I think, uh, you know, if that does happen with certain assets that the game, basically the game has to take off, right? So it goes back to, you know, you have to have a really good game to start and yeah, maybe if there's a game that takes off, then the assets that people collect and people really care about will take off as well.
2: And the hard thing with the the crowdfunding thing is, not everyone should be a should be a VC, right? And that's not because they can't think through it or process through it. It's that when you're a VC, you have LPs that have large diversified portfolios, and these high risk assets make sense for them. But on for the average individual, taking venture style bets on individual pieces of content is is just not for everyone. And that's not that's not a bad thing. It's just fundamentally not good for a lot of individuals for, for their situations. And so to, to need to take on that amount of risk to get into a video game, I think is, is a, is a uncommon and has been a bit of a negative thing for a lot of people. And there's probably a lot of people that, that have, have acted irresponsibly because they, they see the upside, but you know, it's just a model that's not for everyone as a, as a individual.
0: Yeah, and that's that's one part I don't dig that much into into uh, in in my post is just all the regulations and things that will change probably in the in the next few years around um, you know buying these assets and uh, and putting it into tokens or NFTs um, because yeah. In a lot of ways, you know, there's a reason why people can't just buy stocks of private companies and, you know, they got to be accredited investors to put in a certain amount of money. And there's all these regulations around it to protect, you know, your, your average consumer. So I think there'll be more of that over time.
1: Yeah, agreed. All right. Next point, Phil.
0: On to the next. Uh, I think interoperability is uh, a good one to go over i gave it a, a lower score although it is one that you know i do get excited about uh but you know being in the games industry for for a while now and you know feeling the the very restrictive pressures of ips um i just think it's very hard if people think you know i'm gonna take this skin from fortnite and use it in csgo and and you know that type of interoperability i think is is very far off and, and very difficult so i don't see web3 adding any value to do that type of thing um i think for the newer generation you know we're seeing glimmers of this um i mentioned one of them with with nifty island you know who's bringing in a bunch of different web3 projects and because there is that culture within web3 projects to just let their assets be used in other projects uh i think you know if they gain more mainstream adoption and become larger mainstream brands, there is that opportunity to to have really interesting interoperability plays. Uh, but for now, I'm still seeing it's it's pretty difficult, given all the restrictions. And you know, I'm I'm hopeful that that you know these new Web three brands will be able to uh, you know continue to allow their their uh, assets to be used in other. Uh, games. But who knows? Like in the future, they might decide our brand is actually so awesome. We want to start having licensing fees and we want to protect it more. And we end up back where we are. So that's why it's really hard um, for me to predict where this is going to go. And that's why I gave it a, a lower score to start, but with kind of some opportunity. Um, I think one other area that I don't know if it's really interoperability, but has. Uh, potential is this idea of just being able to see the assets people own and giving them some value in another game, right? Which is what uh, some of these products I mentioned million of Mars somewhere here, uh, you know, they will let people say, you know, if you own a board ape, you get this quest experience in our game uh, and things like that. So it's not directly using the IP or or assets, but giving them benefits for it. Uh, So yeah, that's kind of my take on intro.
1: I think that's a fair take. I sometimes get frustrated when I hear people that have decades of experience in, in the gaming space dismiss the concept of interoperability by saying that it's impossible to, you know, take a gun from, let's say, Counter-Strike and take it to Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. And that is such a such a terrible argument and such a narrow take on the concept of interoperability. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you mentioned skins and avatars, and I think those are probably, like, the the... the the how should i describe it maybe the first step of what we know today and how this can can be translated into true like interoperable assets within a web3 enabled universe of games um but you know my take here is that i think we'll see more interoperability than than pretty much anyone expects but just not in the way that we think where it's like literally asset a and i'm going to take asset a and it's going to be asset a in in game you know in in another game right it's going to yeah. be you know smartly designed It's going to be maybe bottom up in a sort of loot approach or it's going to be you know it's going to be like items that don't have a inherent visual or, or or tangible characteristic but then that do have effects on your gaming experience within different games and universes and and there's infinite ways how that can work um and so yeah anyway my my, my take is um don't straw man this by saying you know in in today's triple a games that will never work um but again you, it your grading i would say is correct because you're looking at today so that's why um I'm, um yeah c plus c+, that's um <laughs> i can see that
2: yeah, I also feel like we've seen a lot of platforms try to create their own identity around interoperability, where they're creating their own suite of games, and one of their big hooks is if you buy an asset in our ecosystem, it works across all of our games natively because they're our games, and we've built them that way. Um, I, I think of, I don't think of interoperability as like a compelling UA feature, where I want to go play those games because I can use my assets there. I think that if you're going to think about it in UA, what Philip mentioned before of, you know, you own a Bored Ape and you can take that asset into million on Mars. And it's almost like, hey, we know there's this big, massive channel of people that are looking for things to do with these items. Let's give them something to do. And it's not necessarily direct dollars into our pockets because, you know, they were still purchased outside of our platform. But because you have that, you can come get some benefits over here. So you might want to give it a try. And hopefully that turns you into a retained sticky user that then decides to spend money on million on Mars assets. Um, And it's always been difficult because interoperability, based on what we've seen from startups, feels much more like a business problem than a technical problem, right? I think over time, the technical solutions will be there. And I don't know if that's 12 months, uh, three years, five years until it is done very well. But with the amount of smart people working on it, I have faith that it will be possible, but there's also an element of who does this benefit the most? And is it, is it the big players that want their assets to be everywhere that already have really strong IP, or is it more of the smallie smaller indie style devs that want to attract new players because they promise this great feature of interoperability, um, And I think this will continue to evolve, but just saying, oh, we're going to be able to use our Call of Duty weapons in in another game, it's like, what motivation does does Call of Duty have to, to share revenue with another game? Um, and in that case, what what value does the other game really have from, from pulling in these assets? I think there's like there's a, there's a question of value accrual that becomes really, really important here. And I think that's ultimately what will dictate who is willing to experiment here, and which is why it might take a little bit longer than, than we're hoping, um, because I think there's a lot of room for mi- incentive misalignment within our operability that, that we, we sometimes understate.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, as as you know, a game with millions and millions of users, like why do you wanna drive some of those users to another platform or another game and what is the the benefits you're getting? And I think those need to be clear for people to allow it, you know, especially at a larger scale. Um, but yeah, I think the the tech, as you mentioned, is is there um and, and will develop. I think the the really like the fundamental value for interop is just that you can very easily attribute an asset to any particular wallet or or person. Um, So anyone can just look on on chain, this person owns this asset. And so, you know, I can give them an experience or let them use that asset somewhere else. And that that's what doesn't exist in Web 2 right now. You know, you got to build APIs, you got to, you know, make connections, all that type of stuff. Um, And yeah, that's why it makes it really easy within the same IP, as you mentioned, you know, for Axie Infinity, we had the same Axie can be used in, you know, three, four, five, six games. Uh, and so uh, that was pretty powerful because you can keep creating more and more value with that same asset quite easily without having to build out those APIs and make sure they can, you know, function and and uh, be attributed to players in all those different games. Um, and yeah, on, I think on your point on, you know, who's really benefiting, uh, vampire attacks are obviously a thing within the space. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that, Uh, might actually make you know certain players less likely to uh to go on chain because now you can identify and target their their players um you know and give them the benefits and try to lure them away uh so i think there's benefits and and uh yeah disadvantages with with that mechanic
1: yep agreed can we talk about ownership permanence, or can you talk about ownership permanence? Because I think this is this is one that yeah. I'm I'm just interested in 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 talking about and get get you guys' thoughts on.
0: Yeah. Uh. So for ownership permanence, kind of what I refer to this as is just the idea that you can own a digital asset. Uh. Because it's on chain, there is this different sense and level of permanence. Uh. That you know, as long as you know, there's some number of people decentralizing this chain, it'll exist forever, regardless of, you know, a company or a single entity or a single individual, Uh, this object will always exist and be attached to you. Uh, And I think this is, you know, beneficial as a whole um for players to be able to own their their assets from games in this way. I think, you know, it's probably less appreciated appreciated in the short term uh, because you're like, oh, I have this asset. But in the long term, I feel like 10 years from now, when you're like, oh, I still own this, you know, item from this game I played 10 years ago, it feels great. Uh, that's how I feel about a lot of my collectibles uh, from when I was a kid. I you know, didn't care as much about them and just like owning them back then. But now, you know, I have them all displayed in my display case. And I feel really glad that I still have them and I still own them. Uh, so I think that's something that uh, will be appreciated more in the long term, too. Uh, but obviously, there's a lot of nuances with this with digital uh, compared to physical, Um A lot of nfts right now for example are pointers are pointing to you know a jpeg or a gif or jif whatever you want to call it in a a database and uh and so theoretically it doesn't it may not exist forever if it's just a pointer and and the asset is not on chain or not decentralized so i think there's there's some areas there and you know and then there's another argument that i have and it's just like how much do people care about this which is that actually why i have it lower um than you know being an a and a plus or whatnot it's You know, some people just play their game, and then they leave it, and then, you know, it's fine. I don't really care about owning those assets forever. I'm more of a collector, so I might be biased. Like, I love holding on to things and and hoarding things, but, uh, yeah, not everyone cares about that. Yeah, this is one that I would probably
2: give a lower grade, just Mm -hmm. given the fact that the permanence of assets as we think about NFTs and token IDs— I don't think is going to be correlated to an increase in the number of forever games that there are out there, right? Where there's, you know, five, ten plus year runs where, where the, these games remain relevant. Um, because I don't think that's driven by, by the asset level. And so for a lot of these games, even though the, the collectible will be permanent, I do think that the the use case for many of these will eventually be very fleeting where after a couple of years if the game's not doing that well the servers just get shut off and then you still own it in your wallet but that that digital use case is gone. And um you know maybe there's some interesting comps in physical collectibles, but I feel like when I think of physical collectibles, a lot of the values in them being tangible and, and kind of in your real world. Um And so I don't know how if digital assets are going to hold the same kind of value when their use case is gone, because for a lot of physical collectibles, I feel like the use case is almost for the sake of collecting them, whereas these digital assets for games, there is a there's an actual tangible use case for them. And when that's gone... um, does Does the value of your emotional connection also go with the game so um that, that's that's something that I think is a little bit different here, but um, I think sometimes we we also like to forget that games do in fact shut down and and servers <laughs> go off and uh, there's so many great examples of that not happening um, that it's it's easy to forget about the long tail that it does happen to mm-hmm.
1: um, can we also uh, Well, Phil, I want to ask you, did you consider um, or where did you consider the ability of players to resell their game assets? And this could be things that they purchased in games, which could be skins or anything else. Um, Where does that fit within your framework?
0: Uh, So I have that basically in, I think, real money gameplay um, where uh, you can, yeah, where assets have real value um, and you know, they're tradable and you can basically cash them out if you want, um, in a way. Uh, so, uh, I can dive into that, uh, if we want now. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So real money gameplay. I think this is one of the big ones. I think this is, uh, you know, one of the big differences, uh, that people are actually talking about when they talk about marketplaces and trading. Um, this is really where, uh, web three, uh, makes a a much larger impact. Uh, And so this is the idea that you can, all the assets in a game theoretically could have, if they're on chain, they can have a real money value. And there could be this price discovery via exchanges or or whatnot and marketplaces that give you that, you know, how much it's worth. Uh, And not all games have that. Uh, Obviously a lot of games have gray markets, but, you know, the lack of liquidity and, you know, the, you know, grayness of it and, uh, you know, terms of service, all those things limit, you know, the actual price discovery um, of these objects. And so, uh, yeah, blockchain basically makes it really easy for you to take any object, mint it on chain and have real money value and create this real money gameplay with their tokens and with uh, currencies where you can have leaderboards, you can have wagering, you can have basically anything uh, within the game that people exchange assets in some way, be either using them, getting reward for them, theoretically could become real money gameplay if that asset could be on-chain. Uh, so that's a big unlock, I think, that Web3 provides that would be much harder in Web2. Um, you know, regulations might change and make it super hard in Web3 in the future, but for now, uh, it's it's way easier um, to just allow things to be on-chain to create this type of gameplay that, you know, might make it a lot a lot more exciting for a lot of people because they have assets that they can own and have real money value. Uh, but there's also a lot of risks that where you know we've seen in the space of people now focusing very much on the the money part and less on progressing in the game, less on actually collecting these assets for their intrinsic value. Uh, so that's why I have, although I think it's a huge unlock, I have it a bit lower because of those risks and because of those issues that have come up uh, that are actually quite hard to avoid. Um, uh, if you don't structure your positioning and your narrative properly around the game.
1: How do you think about, as oh, a consequence of this, you know, potential financialization or the the essentially your ability to just sell whatever asset you have, um, mm-hmm. what do you think are the consequences of giving players essentially the ability to exit a game, right? Um, in traditional Web2 games, once you own a game or you own game assets those are a sunk cost because you're stuck with them and you might be able to sell your account, but that's like not really legal.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Once
1: as a game developer, you commit yourself to, you know, building on top of a blockchain or with the blockchain or Web3 enabled, you give players assets. But if you um, do something and uh, players don't like it, they can now exit. And that's something that you have to keep in mind. So you're essentially making that commitment, which from a player perspective, like I prefer the ability to exit. like mm-hmm. I think in reality I'd be interested to see those dynamics play out because I, I do feel like you know it's, it's easier said than done because you know NFTs are, are not very liquid in many cases. and so you know the ability to exit um, you just trying to, to sell your your um, your asset below, um, floor price on on open and seeing the floor price go down and like fuck, I can't get this sold, like it's it's not that simple, right? But my my point being like as a you know someone that has worked in in game develop develop yeah game devs before, how do you think about that?
0: Yeah, so I think it this very much leans towards player value versus developer value. I think as as a developer. You know, you almost want more of that friction uh, to keep people in your ecosystem, and you know, you're incentivized to, you know, not let them cash out, so they want to keep playing your game. Uh, but from a player perspective, it's amazing. Yeah, I totally agree. As a player, it uh, you want to be able to cash out, and it even more so makes the developer work harder and and be more cognizant and be more uh, uh, persistent in making sure the game is awesome, so that you stick around, not just. Because of that reason, but because you can cash out, they got to make sure they're putting out new content. They're making sure the game continues to be engaging, and uh, and so I think it's a huge win for for players as a whole to be able to to cash out of games. Um, and uh, but yeah, much much harder for developers. Um, I think uh, you know there is potentially some advantage uh, if because players are. Uh, are able to cash out they're also willing to spend more initially um and they're also willing to invest more because they have this you know safety net almost of like okay i can always cash out so i can you know go a bit crazy with with my spending and getting more assets so does that outweigh the the con of you know them potentially cashing out hard to say depends on your game depends on your situation
1: 100 good um we're we're already past 40 minutes and so i i wanted to get your guys' take on an observation i made while reading through this list um and it was that it felt to me like the way you're thinking about this and it is probably the the most scientifically correct way to think about this is you're looking at all of these features that Web 3 brings. And then you're looking at essentially gaming today and Mm -hmm. seeing like, how does this apply and what benefits and advantages does this bring to the games and types of games I know. And during this conversation that we had until now, we already in a few times touched upon like, oh, they're doing this differently. And this is an interesting approach. Um, Mm -hmm. But because this is still in such a nascent space we we haven't really seen any of these new approaches used in a fully non skeomorphic way like you know in in a bottoms up approach versus a a web2 game and we're going to plug this new web3 tool into it um mm-hmm. and so we haven't really seen that get to scale and so get to you know true success and for that reason i feel like this approach almost by definition um has as a result that you like you've never given an A. Your best score is a B plus, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and to to me that's that's not really surprising, um, and it feels like the games that will like we will need to see games that use these these um, these elements that you mentioned in a new way that wouldn't be possible in the games you're 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 projecting them on now um, to be, get convinced that there's actually more more to be to be done there and there.
0: Yeah, and and I also think you know a B plus in, in terms of you know incremental value that that the tech provides uh, I think can be very substantial and and you think about you know the some of the big shifts in, in tech you know from MySpace to Facebook or things like that you know there was there was new tech that was needed for um, for getting that type of scale and getting that type of behavior but uh, a lot of it uh, but that that kind of incremental value was able to make a big difference. Um so I do see that, you know, especially we didn't talk about it but UGC is like if you can make UGC a bit easier and a bit more accessible, I think the impact of that can be very large. Uh and uh and that's maybe not what people want. They want, you know, the one thing that's going to be like the game changer for, for web three, that's very clear, like this is adding uh, significantly more value. Uh, But I don't think there is one. Um, But I think, you know, there's a lot of impact that can be driven, even from these things that, you know, make things not necessarily game changingly better.
2: Yeah. And I do think it's a, it's a really interesting observation, because, Web3 to really be meaningful is going to have to manifest itself earlier in the development process, right? I think we've Mm -hmm. talked about this a number of times where just throwing Web3 aspects into a traditional game and just layering it on top only provides so much value. And I think that's that's historically where we've seen people just write it off as useless additional tech being added onto things that are already running perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be an element of creativity that is going to manifest itself in, in some of the games and maybe that's one of the positives um as, as a biased person here talking about the, the, the web three bull run and crypto VC, um, because a lot of projects with very ambitious and creative visions got the funding they needed to pursue them. And I still think that a vast, vast, vast majority of them are going to fail, but maybe it only takes one to show some of these features that, that Philip wrote about working for other people and to build on top of it. And for the risk profile of those types of investments of time and cash, um, to really be a viable part of gaming. So um, I guess maybe the takeaway there is it only takes one person to, to do it really creatively to prove out the value. And maybe we'll start to see some of these Ds and Cs turn into Bs and B pluses. Yeah, totally.
1: Talking about that, um, Philip, you've graded this looking at the state of how it is mm-hmm. and the technology is today. Which of these are you most excited about? Do you feel like has the most potential moving forward for games? Uh,
0: yeah, I think, I think UGC um, is probably one of the top of my list. I just see there's a lot of potential to uh, have these systems, uh, you know, just managed through blockchain and, uh, and being able to create uh, incentive systems uh, that give a lot more value to creators um, in whether that be in-game assets or tokens or, you know, different types of systems to, um, reward them, uh, with things that also have real money value, uh, and that they can cash out much more easily and have more deterministic ways to get those payouts. And, um, I think, uh, uh, one thing I, I saw that was interesting was, you know, even shrapnel, uh, they have, you know, really cool, uh, Kind of system that they're building out, and even rewarding curators and having uh, an entire system around rewarding people who curate, because you know UGC content, there's so much of it, and that's one of the big problems with it. Is you know what's the where are the gems in there? Like what are the what are the things that you want to surface to the top? And actually rewarding curation can be part of this system as well, and all of that would be much harder, I think, to build within Web two with the existing you know. Cash out systems, and you know, you'd have to hold all this money that people can withdraw into their bank accounts. And you know, with Web three, I think it it streamlines a lot of that. So that's where I see some of the biggest impact potentially um, in in the closer term. Um, and then, yeah, longer term, potentially the the other one we didn't talk about with social coordination systems is, you know, I think, you know, the way I look at it now, it's it's not super powerful, um, but you know, especially as more things potentially. Happen outside of a game as well, um, with governance and with uh, you know different types of contribution programs uh, there could be a lot more there
1: Gotcha, Phil sorry Philip Collins. how about you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually think I think the UGC aspect of of what Philip's talking about there is really interesting because I do find that one of the seemingly most compelling aspects of web3 in games is being able to directly tie value creation to the delivery of, of value to that creator um, and, and so that's somewhere where smart contracts in games are extremely compelling if we if we just go purely on the smart contract side we're um, understanding what you are giving, And even down to like to the asset level, right? Like it's not creating full games or experiences, but you know, providing 0.1% of an environment and being rewarded for that accordingly uh, to your contribution. I do think there's a lot of interesting stuff around value exchange. Um, I don't have I don't have as much of an opinion on the uh, the social coordination, I'd say, but on UGC, I definitely. I definitely think there's something interesting there, even though that's more of a derivative of successful integrations of UGC, which is an entire another conversation that we could probably spend an hour on. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I, to add on to the point of UGC, and it's something that's I would say no, I, I didn't really miss in here, but um, something that not a lot of uh, thought is given to right now, although it's increasing, is the fact that. The way we're looking at um, Web three, or the way most people are looking at Web three for games right now, is is as a digital ledger more than anything else. Where you, it's it's way you track ownership, and you have these assets on this ledger, and then you can transfer them. And that's if, if you look at all of the different points that the advantages or, or potential disadvantages that Web three brings to games, that's where they um, are derived from. But the thing is that it's actually more than a ledger. It's also a computer. And so you can actually program logic on, on these. And that's, you know, when you mentioned, uh, Phil, that, you know, there's smart contracts. And so you can, you can know that once you contribute something, you'll know that, you know, X, like a fraction of any revenue that it generates, comes to you. I think that's really interesting. And I think that's um, something I'm excited about. Um, but this is, it's, it's so far out there that I don't think anyone has any idea about how this actually works at scale. It is once we start adding more logic of games to that decentralized computer, which is the, the blockchain, um, and so I'm talking to like on the spectrum from Web 2.5 games um, on one end and fully on-chain games on the other end. I'm just curious what we'll see emerge on on the on the weird end where there's more logic and um, and we're making use of that decentralized computer more than as just um, a, a way to transact value and assets. Yeah, and a
0: big, big advantage random, of random
1: that. Podcast. Sorry, I'm shilling on-chain games again, um, as I I tend to do. Sorry, Phil, I interrupt you. Go
0: ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I uh, was just going to say, yeah, the transparency component, I think, is big, Um, you know, especially for creators, like, you know, being able to see exactly how the the payouts are going out. And uh, with, you know, platforms like Roblox or Fortnite, you know, it's all controlled centrally. You know, they figure out how much you get paid out and, you know, in what ways and what the rules are around that. But, um, you know, if all that's on-chain and transparent, it, uh, you know, hard to say, like, uh, how much people will care about it over time. But, you know, I think it is uh, a value that creators get to have that transparency into uh, the system that actually pays them out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Good. As a final question for you, Philip La, I would like from you two greats one global (laughs) what web 3 brings to games today grade Mm -hmm. and i want to have the same grade but um in let's say five years from now
0: so right now uh i'd give it on average uh a c a c i would say um Mm -hmm. five years from now uh an a I'm aiming for that A for five years from now. I think, you know, there's so much things being worked on right now. I think, yeah, as you said, only takes one, um, and, uh, and to really show, show the value. And, and I think, you know, a lot of these areas with, you know, onboarding and, um, and, uh, you know, just the technology needing way more handholding, um, to, to get things done, uh, like so much of that will improve. Like there's, a million people working on wallets right now just making wallets more seamless to use so um yeah i think uh, i think we'll get there
1: i feel like um c today and an a in five years is probably the summary of my whole thinking around this technology (laughs) for you know for games in general um I don't know if you agree, uh Phil Collins, but uh I feel like this is what we we we've been talking about the whole time or every time we we talk about, you know, or we discuss the concerns that a lot of traditional games people have about blockchain as a as a as a technology. What
2: do you think? Yeah, no, I think I'm I'm roughly around that C range today. I'd maybe I'd maybe go slightly more negative towards like the C minus, but <laughs> we're in the same realm as you guys. And I think in the future, if done right and everything everything plays out. As we've historically thought and hoped, my my initial reaction was to say like B plus A minus, minus. Um, and honestly, like I don't say that lightly. Like I think a B plus or an A minus overall in five years, to Philip's point before, is a lot of value, right? Um, and so I'll, I'll stick around there, and that's not that's not necessarily a knock. I just I'm, I'm gonna discount for just a little bit of skepticism. Uh, so I'll I'll land at the B plus just to to try to be. Try to be a little bit conservative. Yeah. I think that's fair.
1: Good. Awesome.
2: Philip, where can people um, learn
1: more? And sorry, when I say Philip now, I mean Philip Law. Um, This was confusing. Uh, Phil, (laughs) where can people find you and and learn more about you and and, and follow your your writings and thoughts?
0: Uh, Yeah. Uh, On Twitter, I'm just at Philip Law. Uh, On LinkedIn, I am Philip Law. Uh, those are probably the two main places that I write. Uh, I have a blog as well, but that's, that's linked in my Twitter Substack. stack. Um, so yeah, I, you know, just started a new job. So probably won't be writing or posting as much, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try to get more thoughts out over time uh, for any interesting learnings.
1: Fantastic. Cool. All right, Philip and Philip. Awesome to have you. <laughs> Philip. Love, thanks for taking the time in your morning to join us. Um, Philip Collins, as usual, great thoughts. Um, always such rational takes but too conservative to my liking from time to time but oh, i'm accepted <laughs> um good all right listener thank you for listening if you enjoyed let us know um join the discord if you haven't already philip is also in there he's called the green ranger so if you want to tell him he's wrong about his scoring then come tell him there and we can have a, a productive discussion about it and with that we are out and we look forward to uh, speaking to you in the next episode ciao